This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. We heard earlier this week Ontario Premier Doug Ford say that anyone who was involved in hosting the 200-person house party in Brampton should, quote, face the full extent of the law. These were the people he called a bunch of yahoos, remember? Well, what would the full extent of the law be? It's difficult to know simply because the law itself doesn't necessarily know yet. Ford had said he would, quote, throw everything and the kitchen sink at the party house. There is a $100,000 fine that would be there under the province's Emergency Management and Civil Protection Act. But let's kind of get some perspective on what could actually happen here and some of the challenges that exist for our legal system at the moment under things like the Emergency Management and Civil Protection Act. Act. Joining us is London lawyer Gord Cudmore. Gord, thanks for being here. Good to talk to you, Mike. You're doing okay? So far, so good. I'm surviving. Good, good. Us too. So let's <laughs> uh, let's all keep doing that same thing. Let's Absolutely. look at, at this particular situation, because this would seem to be rather unique. And I know the law loves precedent. What do you do in a case like this if this ends up in court to try to figure out what a proper punishment would be when something like this hasn't had to be punished in a, a case like this any before? Well, you look at the seriousness of the breach, and uh, from what I've heard so far, it looks like a pretty serious breach. The Under the Act, uh, the Emergency Measures and whatever, it's Civil Protection Act, I think, Emergency Management and Civil Protection Act, uh, the maximum fine is $100,000 uh, plus possibly a year in jail. So certainly the maximum is substantial. I don't see the maximum going out. It's for the maximums are usually kept for the worst case and the worst offender. Uh, and it's not likely they would do that. But what, what I think the, the uh, Premier is trying to send is a very strong message saying, we take this really seriously. Uh, and if we're going to set a precedent, it's going to be a good precedent. And I think he's trying to, uh, I use the term scare tactic, and I don't use that in any derogatory sense. Uh, I use it in the sense that uh, the uh, the government wants people to know that uh, we're taking this very seriously. Uh, it would be a precedent-setting case, but that's how all our laws made is by precedent. So uh, here we may go. We're talking with London lawyer Gord Cudmore about the hosts of a party in Brampton on the weekend that had roughly 200 people in attendance, and the idea that the Premier has said they need to face the full extent of the law, the law just now needs to determine what that is. So how would a judge go into this and try and determine, okay, it, it appears that you have between zero and $100,000 in fine to work with and maybe even some jail time. How do you figure out what direction to go in? Uh, that's why I'm not a judge. <laughs> <laughs> um it it would be very difficult. You certainly have to look at all the circumstances. I mean, number one, it might be the, the act itself could be challenged as unconstitutional. I'm not sure on what grounds yet, but it, because it's new. Uh, certainly, the uh, you look at whether or not what took place constituted an emergency uh, under the definition in the act. And if you look at the definition, it looks like uh, it might well constitute an emergency because it's it's doing something that could promote a disease, which clearly this is and clearly this does. 
uh, it would seem clearly to be a breach of the government orders in terms of uh, the number of people you can have at a gathering and, and the concept of social distancing. So uh, it would be a difficult case to establish, but you'd have to look at all of the circumstances of the party, how it was held, what, if any, uh, cautions were taken, uh, who was the host, what did the host do uh, or not do uh, in terms of uh, conducting the party, whether they were invited, whether there was just a party that grew. Not that I think that makes much difference. Uh, certainly, if there were, I think one of the comments made by the host was there wasn't 200 people there, but uh, I don't think the, uh, the government or the police could be out by 190 people or whatever you're allowed to have. Um, because I'm not sure what you're allowed to have under whatever phase we're under right now. It's hard to keep track. And, and I think one of the things is just like uh, with the disease itself, we're in uncertain times with the law. We're also in uncertain times because we're entering a, a new era. But uh, I think if I were the host, I'd be a little concerned. Absolutely. London lawyer Gord Cudmore joining us. And you mentioned those scare tactics, but at the same time, we, we want to make sure we keep hearing things like we have cases under 100 in Ontario like we did today and, uh, and not like some other parts of our world, right? Uh, like south of the border. That's the place. Uh, that's the one I'm, I'm thinking of. And I, and I think that uh, what's going on uh, down there uh, has a big impact on what we're doing up here and what the, the, uh, the premier is doing. Uh, you look at what's happening in the in the states, and I'll use the term. I think it's out of control, uh, and it's uh, putting pressure on our government to make sure we don't go down that path. So, uh, fortunately, I think for us is is most Canadians uh, are following the rules, if if I can put it that way, uh, wearing masks, uh, keeping social distance, uh, which is. Uh, clearly, I think, having an effect in, in terms of our numbers, in terms of our ability to keep the curve flat, which I think we still are doing. Uh, but uh, I, I think that most of our population is taking this in the way it should be taken, and, and that is that this is serious stuff. This is not just uh, the flu where you can get sick. This is where you could die. Uh, and uh, I, I think that one of the things that happens, and I'm not being critical, well, I probably am being critical, uh, it would seem that uh, younger people have this feeling of immortality, which uh, I can tell you at my age, I long since lost that uh, belief uh, of immortality. So um, I think that that's part of the, the uh, reasons we're seeing some of these. You saw it in the States with the crazy people all on the beach uh, giving each other COVID virus, uh, and we see what's happened in Florida, and we don't want it happening up here. And, and parties with 200 people uh, in attendance, that's where it's going to happen. They weren't an emergency in the past. They could be deemed an emergency right now based on, yes, a yeah. medical issue and spreading a virus. And, yeah, we don't want to spread it any more than it already has. Gord, keep safe. Thanks so much. It's always great talking with you. I hope we get to do it again very Anytime, soon. Anytime, Mike. Always a pleasure. You can stay healthy and along with your audience. Thanks. That is London Thanks. lawyer Gord Cudmore. So... We're in uncharted waters, as Gord points out, and it will depend on what the justice presiding over this case wants to do with it. You have the support of the province. You're going to want to send a message, but at the same time, they're, they're going to go through and consider everything that needs to be considered, and then out comes the judgment, and uh, this Gord says probably wouldn't want to be that particular party host. 
it has been a hot month of July. Blazing hot. Whew. We talked with Anthony Farnell, Global News Chief Meteorologist, yesterday about how many days above normal we've had. We've had one day below normal, uh, but one day at normal. The rest of them, above, warm. And with a lot of people staying at home, what has this meant for London Hydro? Joining us right now, and uh, we get to welcome him back to the show for the second time in, I think, about a week, London Hydro CEO Vinay Sharma. Vinay, thanks for making yourself available again. Good afternoon, Matt, and thank you for having me. Let's talk a little bit about... What we have seen in terms of demand in the month of July, is it any different given the heat and everybody working from home? Uh, so, Mike, uh, indeed, uh, work, people working from home uh, means they're using electricity more. But I think heat has more effect because of the air conditioning needs. And what we have seen is in the, in the month of uh, uh, July, we almost uh, consumed uh, more, uh, actually twice as much more than April because of the heat. So yes. we've, we've consumed, we needed more power, in other words, to the tune of twice as much in the form of power as, as we did in April. Right, because April was a little uh, cooler weather or spring weather. <laughs> yes, indeed. Now, is this a, a kind of a, a thing to be expected? I imagine we're using more power in the summer to keep ourselves cool, things like that. Do we know kind of how it works out year over year or anything like that? So, uh, yes, summer is always the highest uh, demand on electricity because of the heat. And every summer we average uh, our peak around 690 megawatts. And usually, this much demand is in the month of early August or late July, last week of July. But we hit our peak of nearly 690 megawatt in first week of July. So uh, summer certainly came early, and it got hotter much earlier than we anticipate uh, yearly. And uh, air conditioning demands also not only demand electricity because they run throughout the day, uh, they consume more energy as well. So it has been uh, quite a significant increase in electricity demand all across Ontario, by the way, but southern Ontario more than anywhere else. Right. So let's go over when we normally hit our peak for the summer. When is that usually? Usually, you know, I've seen it mostly around somewhere between 4th of August to 13th of August. But this time we hit in first week of July. Hmm, that's amazing. Now, is there anything that London Hydro or that anybody else has to be ready for in order to accommodate for this? Or is it just kind of, hey, you know, if we uh, were able to do it, it just matters, you know, how, how long we have to do it for? Well, so good news is that we have ample supply right now on our system. So if you look at uh, Ontario as a whole, we, uh, in the July month, we have consumed a peak of about 25 gigawatt, of which, of which 2 gigawatt got exported, but we consumed in Ontario itself about 23 gigawatt. That's fairly high, and it's a normal peak, but we have enough supply to meet that demand. That's first thing. Second, our system in London itself, if we will, is designed for well over a thousand megawatt. We can easily um, uh, do that supply, but we usually consume 690 megawatts, so we have enough capacity. Our system is fairly sound, except it costs more. So in wintertime, sorry, summertime right now, for every degree 
that you have higher than 24 or 25 degrees Celsius, we consume extra two kilowatt hour, which is like 30 cents extra for every degree higher than 25. Well, Vinay, it is good to know that things are ticking right along, and we really appreciate the, the update on the numbers. Uh, here's hoping we do get to stay a little bit cooler, and uh, we can probably all do ourselves a favor by shutting off lights that we don't need to have on and doing all those things that uh, we used to remind ourselves of before we had to remind ourselves about staying apart and washing hands. Please keep safe, and thank you again for the update. Please, and tell your listeners that if they can keep their air conditioning at 24 degrees Celsius setting, that would, that would be optimum. That's big for us. That, that helps a lot. Thank you. Okay, we will do it. 24. Thank Go. Mike, thank you and keep safe. Thanks so much. That's Vinay Sharma. And he is the CEO of London Hydro. So go check your thermostat. See what it's sitting at. 24. You know, it still keeps you cool. In fact, right now, I mean, eh, you know, there's humidity in the air. We're getting drier air. Try a thing called the windows open on the weekend. Way better for sleeping. Man, is it better for sleeping. And uh, also better for hydro consumption. So, details on the fact that we normally hit our peak usage in the summer. Somewhere between the 4th and the 13th of August, we hit it this year in the first week of July. But we have lots of power in our school. If we could have a treatment, what would that mean? Treatment for COVID-19. If somebody told you all of the horrible things that we've heard and seen that have happened, what if they didn't happen? What if this was a terrible, terrible virus? You felt awful, but at the end, there were no lasting effects. You weren't worried about your lungs basically having scar tissue in them or something happening to your heart where tissue was inflamed or short-term memory loss so many different lingering things seem to come out of this it would be a different world wouldn't it what if it couldn't kill you what if you couldn't wind up in the icu on a ventilator well, we're not there yet we're not there yet but health canada has authorized the drug remdesivir and we need to know what this means, because when all of a sudden we've got a, a drug and Health Canada has said, great, here's a green light, does that mean that, that we've got another weapon in the fight against COVID-19? We talked about remdesivir with Dr. Jimmy DeCaiacos, who's an associate professor with the Department of Microbiology and Immunology at the Schulich School of Medicine and Dentistry at Western, before Health Canada gave the green light. In fact, when remdesivir was just being talked about in the media for the first time. Well, Dr. Dikayakos has been nice enough to join us now that it's been given that green light by Health Canada. Dr. Dikayakos, how are you? Good, Mike. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the show again. Well, thanks for being here. Uh, okay, we, uh, we found out about remdesivir the first time that we talked. Why was this, let's even just rewind time just so that we remember, why was this something that came up as a potential positive in the fight against COVID-19? Right, that's a good question, Mike. So basically what a clinical trial showed a few months ago with remdesivir that was run out of the NIH in the United States, was that patients that were being treated with this drug and that were infected with uh, SARS-CoV-2 and were COVID-19 patients, so to speak, they basically showed a better 
uh, it took them basically uh, less longer to 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 get be, uh, to be better, right? So they basically had a quicker recovery time while under the treatment. Okay, so that was that was definitely a positive. So now a from positive, yeah. a huge yeah a huge positive exactly. Yeah. So from the point of seeing at least a glimmer of hope with remdesivir to where we are now. Have we seen much that's different, or is this Health Canada having watched and now saying, okay, you know what, that stuff that we noticed before, yeah, we're good with giving a green light. Where do we sit on that? Okay, that's a good question, too. So essentially, when we last spoke about a couple of months ago when this new data came out, Health Canada, in this country, in Canada, patients were allowed to take remdesivir under what was called the Special Access Program. Okay, so as of this week... And uh, Health Canada has granted, has removed the special access program, and now remdesivir uh, can be used. So essentially, they took six weeks to review all of the data, and Health Canada has now determined that the benefits outweigh any risks for a certain type of patient that is COVID-19 positive. So essentially, patients that are 12 or over, that are a minimum of 40 kilograms in body weight, uh, under the supervision of their healthcare practitioners, these are patients that are very sick, unfortunately, with COVID-19. They're under oxygen or they have very severe pneumonia. They can be given, they can be prescribed remdesivir, which will actually now be known with its brand name, which is Viclury, V-E-K-L-U-R-Y. So we're going to start hearing a lot more about Viclury as the weeks go on. So Viclury, that's Viclury, and, and that will, e, yeah. yeah, that'll be the same thing. Yes, that is the brand name that uh, Gilead now has given the drug, and that is the brand name that uh, we will know in Canada, for example. But if you are not in one of what appear to be pretty high-risk categories, this is not something that you just say, hey, I can take this, and uh, and it's a preventative measure. It's not that, right? Not yet. Definitely not yet. So for now, the clearance has been given for the patients that are on oxygen, on ventilators, that are severely sick, in Canada, you know, these are the patients that are going to be allowed to be, take this drug because it still remains for the time being that individuals that can take this drug, this compound, still need to take this drug under IV, that's intravenous. So they need to be in a hospital setting. And, of course, side effects still need to be observed to make sure that the drug or the disease, so to speak, doesn't cause damage in other areas uh, of these people that are infected. So you still want to closely monitor these patients. We are talking right now with Dr. Jimmy Dikayakos, Associate Professor in the Department of Microbiology and Immunology at the Schulich School of Medicine and Dentistry at Western. So is there a chance that maybe this becomes more wide-reaching or the use of it becomes more wide-reaching as we kind of watch the science play out? I think there is because there are currently two clinical trials in Canada alone evaluating this compound to perhaps give it at a different time point during the infection, a little bit earlier maybe, who knows. And there are a lot more of these clinical trials happening all over the world that will basically help us decide if this drug can be used to help even more patients. And I will add one more thing. A lot of individuals are trying to understand if the drug can be given in combination with other compounds, such as compounds that would modulate the immune response to help even patients even more. Well, that also sounds positive. Are because you're so close to the science, are you starting to see, you know, maybe more positives in terms of hey, this might have hope or this might have hope or are we still in the early stages? 
We are still in the early stages, but I will say that so far, everything that a lot of what we have seen with the preliminary data from vaccines is very encouraging. And there's certainly we should all be very hopeful that scientists are working really hard to get solutions for this uh, global pandemic. Well, please keep up all of that hard work. We really appreciate it. Dr. Dikiakos, thank you for the update on Remdesivir. And uh, and uh, what is what is the brand name one more time? Viclury. Viclury. Yeah, I'm not, so, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but it's definitely Viclury. Yeah. I'm not even sure if I'm saying it right, but something yeah, that yeah. sounds like that may be out there yeah. on the market and may be used from this point on. And here's hoping that uh, that we don't see capitalism take over too, too much just yet. I, I really, you know, I almost, I almost fear for that, that somebody has, hey, guess what? I have something that's really valuable to about 7 billion people. Uh, anybody with a million dollars, come this way. And I hope we don't see that kind of stuff. I hope we don't, no. <laughs> yeah, Dr. D.K. Akos, thanks for the time. Thanks, Mike. That is Dr. Jimmy D. Kiakos, Associate Professor in the Department of Microbiology and Immunology at the Schulich School of Medicine and Dentistry. So some positive stuff for Health Canada to say, yeah, go ahead, use use it like this. But they're also looking at other drugs. They're also looking at you know some of the other trials. And maybe we hit on something because you look at the after effects. And for anybody who's young, maybe we need a little... You know, a little virtual pamphlet. Maybe we need more Instagram posts that they would receive. I'm not sure if Instagram would spam people. I don't think they would. But you almost want to do that so that if anybody is behaving in a way that you think, come on, like seriously, think about the rest of us. You know, if you have any of those people what you would want to do is show them, okay, you want to see some of the lingering effects? Um, How about scarring in your lungs that's permanent? A lot of patients will come away with that. A significant percentage will come away with that, those that have had a very severe case of COVID-19. Their lungs are never the same again. That doesn't mean, oh, don't worry. It's like, you know, it's like smoking for a while. Eventually your lungs can clear themselves. The human body is such an amazing thing. It is, but no, this looks permanent because they kind of turn parts of your lung to these, you know, crushed up glass. That's kind of how doctors describe it. Um, right now, you know, if if somebody who is between the age of 20 and 30, if they think they're okay, I want you to put in Eduardo Rodriguez into a search engine. Eduardo Rodriguez is a pitcher with the Boston Red Sox. He's a really good pitcher. He's 27 years old, so he's not old at all. And he was diagnosed with COVID-19. Know what he has? Myocarditis. Know what that is? That's an inflammation of the heart muscle. It's brought on by a virus. It's very serious. People who get myocarditis oftentimes wind up in the hospital, and there's a risk of a heart attack. And that is apparently tied to COVID-19. Want some bowel issues? Hmm? COVID-19 can provide those. Want some short-term memory issues? Yeah. Got evidence that COVID-19 can provide those. So maybe we need like an Instagram pamphlet that goes around saying, hey, would you like any of these conditions? And, you know, if they don't check any of the boxes, then you say, then stay apart and wash your hands and wear a mask inside. That's all it takes. And don't be having house parties. 
Talking to you, 200-person guy in Brampton. He's got a whole other world of hurt coming to him. Okay, so that's where that's where we kind of sit on those things. Remdesivir, that's that's a positive. And yeah, are we seeing other things that are reasons for optimism? Sure. But in the end, it comes down to wear your masks inside, stop complaining, stop being anti-maskers. You know, we're going to eventually hear from the anti-vaxxers. We know that. They're going to be coming. You're not putting that in me. Okay, then good luck. See you later. You can put it in me. Because I'd like to be protected, and I'm going to go ahead and believe that the scientists that have said it's okay to start putting this in people have done their research. You know, was I afraid when I had to take my children for the Menjucate vaccine when they were young because I didn't want them to get meningitis because there was a meningitis outbreak going on? No, no. I was relieved that there was a vaccine that could protect them from life-threatening meningitis. So I lined up, and I got that vaccine. I'll do the same with my family this time around, too. You've been listening to the London Live podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3.